Okay, if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 this morning as we go through our series in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3.18, follow along with me as I read. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. I think all of us need good examples in our lives. Would you say that was true? When I began my high school time, the captain of the swimming team was a fellow called Dick Bates. And Dick set an example for me of how to train as a swimmer, but also how to be a good student. When I worked for U.S. Steel as a salesman, uh, Dick Cosgrove was the lead inside salesman. He showed me, by his example, how to be a good salesman. When I came to know the Lord, the associate pastor at uh, the King's Hacienda in San Clemente, that was my church, Pastor Mike was a clear example of what it meant to be a Christian man and husband. He set a good example for me. Think about yourself, perhaps in your lifetime, someone, a teacher or perhaps somebody in the church in your early days or whatever, was a good example for you. Now the reason I'm talking about that is because in this passage, beginning verse 18... Peter makes the point that Christ is our example. Now, what we were talking about last week, remember? Doing good and the rewards thereby, but also doing good and sometimes as a result of us doing good, we what? We suffer because of that. That's his point. Towards the end of verses 13 through 17. Then in verse 18, he now turns and he says, and now... Christ is the premier example of someone who did good and suffered for it. And so we want to talk about that this morning. Now, I've chosen a limited number of verses. There's only five verses here. And I did that for two reasons. My normal way of going through a book like this is to take major subjects at a time. It might be a whole chapter, but sometimes it's just a few verses. And this is one Idea. It's the suffering of Christ, so we're going to talk about it. The second reason I've limited the number of verses is because there are some troublesome verses here, as you can see, as we read through, you're thinking, what? What? What does that mean? We're going to take some time and look at these. Uh, perhaps someone, some have said these, these are the most, can be the most difficult verses to understand, especially verses 19 and 20, so we want to talk about that. Now, Christ died and he suffered for us. And uh, we can't duplicate that, okay? He was the unique son of God, so his suffering we can't really totally relate with, okay? 
But in his sufferings, there's what I call patterns. Patterns that apply, that can be applied to us. And we're going to take a look at that. So the way we're going to handle the four major points in this section is we're going to look at the theological issues and then we're going to look at patterns that apply to us. Okay? Because we can't do what Christ did, but there are, he set an example for us. So let's take a look. First half of verse 18, we see that Jesus suffered so that we might be brought to God. Jesus suffered so that we might be brought to God. That's what it says. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Jesus suffered so that he might bring us to God. Theological truth. There are three of them. First, Jesus died for sins. Died for our sins. Why did Jesus have to die? Because of our sin. Romans 4, 25 says, He was delivered over for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, when Paul was talking about the gospel, he said that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Galatians 1, 4 says that he gave himself over to those who abused him and caused him suffering because of our sins. Christ died for our sins. That's the first theological truth. The second one is he died once for all. Notice what it says. Christ died for sins once for all. Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 10, excuse me, verses 12 through 14 say that the priest, the high priest, had to offer daily sacrifices. That stopped with Christ. He did it once for all. Christ died once for all. No other sacrifices are needed. It was complete. Third theological truth, the just for the unjust. Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, meaning that it was substitutionary. That's called the substitutionary death of Christ. He was not only an example for us, but his death was in our place. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6 says, He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was chastened for our sins. He took our place, the substitutionary death of Christ. The Bible talks about it. Okay. Those are the three theological truths. Now, what's the application? The truth is, Jesus suffered so that we might be brought to God. Here's the application. Hebrews 12, 2. We talked about that last week. Do you remember? That Christ endured the cross for what? The joy that was set before him. Do you remember we talked about that? And you think, what, what's the joy? How did he endure the cross? He suffered, but what was the joy? The joy is, I'm looking at it right here. All the billions of people that might be delivered from their sins and the judgment of God. John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What was the number one priority of Jesus? Number one priority is delivering people from their sins. Isn't that not true? That's the whole purpose. That was number one. 
Now he came for a lot of other reasons, but the number one reason he came is to deliver people from their sins. Would that be true? Shake your head. Are you with me? You're right there, right there. Okay, good. All right, now, here's the question. Here's the application. How about us? How about us? What's our number one priority? Now, the church has a lot of, does a lot of good things. Amen? We do a lot of good things. And sometimes we slip away from what Jesus' number one priority was, which was delivering people from their sins. Now, sometimes we've had people um, talk about the youth group. Well, you know, you know, Pastor Neil, there's, a, there's some kids that come to the youth room. They swear and cuss, and they sometimes smoke, use drugs. And, uh. You have to understand... The reason for our youth group, the reason for our youth group is not to pr- provide a nice, warm, safe club for your children. That's not the reason for our youth group. It's not. The reason for our youth group is according to the name, that their whole lives might revolve, that's why we call it revolve, revolve around Jesus, and because their life revolves around Jesus, they might bring their unsaved, drug-addicted, smoking, cussing kids to church on Sunday morning. That's what it's about, friends. (laughs) That's what it's about. Now, just last night, yesterday afternoon, we had a whole seminar downstairs on leading people to Christ. And then they took 42 of our youth group over to the spectrum, and they spent an hour sharing the Lord with other youth. You see, that's what it's about, guys. Our number one priority is not providing a warm place here on Sunday morning for you to meet with all your special friends so you can really be close. Now, that's a good idea, and we like fellowshipping with one another, but the primary purpose of what we do here on Sunday mornings is that so you can come as you step out of your car and say, I'm going to look for someone who's new and maybe doesn't know the Lord, maybe is kind of not here all the time, that I might reach out and do what? Welcome them into the kingdom of God. See, that's our number one purpose, not to have warm, fuzzy fellowship. That's good, and that could be second or third. But number one, number one, is making sure that the visitors and the unsaved that come to our church feel welcomed and loved. Now, we do everything here at Calvary Chapel to make sure that they're convicted by the Word of God, but we don't want them to be stumbled by anything that we do. So when some weird things or crazy things going on, you know what I do? I shut it down. I deal with it. Pastor Rob and I deal with it because we don't want anybody to be stumbled by something crazy going on in here. The conviction is by the Word of God on their hearts so that you might feel comfortable and feel secure that you have a relative or a friend that does not save. You can bring here Bring them here, bring her here, and you can be assured that they're going to be blessed and welcomed, but convicted by the Word of God. That's our number one priority, just like Jesus. Now, is Jesus suffered to bring us to God? Then maybe us here at Calvary Chapel can be maybe just a little bit inconvenienced. 
just a little bit and go out of our way to make sure that everything that's done here welcomes them in, welcomes them in. Jesus suffered so that we might be bring to God. And he sets a pattern for us here. Second thing we see, the second pattern is found in verse 18, second half. He might bring us to God, notice second half, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Second truth that we see is Jesus suffered and allowed his whole world to be turned upside down. Jesus suffered and allowed his whole world to be turned upside down. Theological truth, there are two of them. First, sometimes people look at this and say, what does this mean? He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Well, let's take them one at a time. Put to death in the flesh. What is that talking about? That's fairly simple, guys. He was put to death in the flesh. That means his death on the cross. He died. His natural body died on the cross. He was put to death in the flesh. What does it mean he was made alive in the spirit? Does that mean he was some kind of spirit? Or maybe the Holy Spirit helped him and resurrected him? That was true. But what it's talking about, it's a contrast. He was put to death in the flesh at the cross on Friday, and he was made alive in the spirit. And the contrast is what? Sunday morning. He was resurrected. So he was a made alive. He was a spirit, but he had a physical body. His resurrected body. He's talking about his death, natural death on the cross, and his resurrected body. That's what he's talking about there. So he was put to death in the flesh. He died on Friday and... He's talking about his new life that he has after the resurrection. Now, here's the point that you have to get to. Before he came to earth and suffered and died, he was in heaven with the Father. Isn't that true? And his state, as much as we can understand it, being the Trinity... One God, three persons. He was in an omnipresent form, which means that God is everywhere. We believe that, amen? But guess what happened? When he came to earth and he took on the natural body and that was killed, he was killed on Friday and resurrected with a new body, everything changed. Why? Because he's going to be for eternity in a spiritual, physical body. We will see him because we will be like him. When our resurrected body will be just like him. And he will live for eternity in that new spiritual body. Now, it's a real step up from our, his old physical body. But my friends, it is a step down from where he was before he came to earth. Isn't that true? Because he'll be severely limited. He'll be in a physical body, as much as we can understand it. Now, here's the point I want to get to, and how this all works out, I'm not sure. But what we see now, he suffered and he allowed his whole world to be turned upside down for all of eternity. 
Now, here's the application. Are we willing to allow this to happen to us? Oh. What does that mean, Neil? Well, why do you think we make such a big deal about missionaries here at Calvary Chapel? Why do we make such a big deal about missionaries? Because that's exactly what they do. Think about it. Just last week we had the currents here. 18 years ago, they picked up their families, left California, and went to Russia. What happened when they went to Russia? (laughs) Their whole world was turned upside down. Isn't that true? Why did they do that? So that the Russian people might come to know Christ. Think about the Freebergs. They're going to be here in a couple of weeks. Um, Four years ago, they left Southern California, took their two lovely little girls, and did what? They moved to Cambodia. And do you think their whole world turned upside down? They used to live down in Dana Point. Now they're living in Cambodia. (laughs) What happened to them? Whoop, upside down. Why? So that the Cambodian people could come to know Christ. My son Jonah. Every Monday morning, we used to go surfing. He was wallpaper. He hung wallpaper. Now he's serving in a communist country in Far East Asia. Do you think his world is upside down? Oh, his world is upside down. Why is he doing that? To help people come to know Christ. And we can go on and on. Jim and Shonda, same thing. 11 years, he took his four kids, our previous pastor, and went to the Philippines. Even now, we're talking about Gary and Kelly Yoon. They're preparing to go to Thailand. Do you think when they go to Thailand, everything's going to be just the way it was here in Southern California? Mm-mm-mm-mm. No, their whole world is going to be turned upside down. Now, you say, oh, you know, you're always making appeals, Neil, about missionaries to, to pray for them and to support them. Their whole world is going upside down, guys. The least, the very least we could do is pray for them and support them because they can't work in those countries. They have to be supported by the American churches because they are following Christ, following Jesus so that people might come to know Christ. They're allowing their whole world to be turned upside down. And we honor them and we pray for them. Amen? Now, Let's get it, bring it a little bit closer. Is not changing such a big deal to you that we have to make a fuss about some of the small changes in our lives? Or perhaps some of the small changes that happen here at the church from time to time, especially if those changes are directed towards helping people come on into the kingdom, maybe come into the kingdom for the first time or perhaps even draw nearer and closer to Christ and be discipled and nurtured. We have to make a big fuss about some small changes. No, 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 no. We're bigger than that. You guys are bigger than that. Favorite phrase of most pastors is people don't change until it hurts too much not to. Have you heard that phrase? Let me repeat it again. You might want to write it down in your bulletin. People don't change until it hurts too much not to. Let me give you a very 
kind of a practical example. Most of you know that I like to go surfing occasionally when I get a chance. One of my surfing spots is a place called Trestles down in southern uh, San Clemente. In order to get to the beach, there's a parking lot. There's a 20-minute walk down to the beach from where you park your car. 20-minute walk. Now, I surf on a longboard, so I have a longboard in a bag with a shoulder height. goes on my... And for years, I walked down there, down the path, down the bike path, down to the beach. Big, heavy, 10-foot board on my shoulder. And these guys would go by on bicycles, and they had surf racks on their bikes, and they put their surfboards in the bikes and ride down. But I, ah, I don't... I'm a purist, you know. I don't need those bikes. <laughs> but what happened just this year is I began to walk down the path the hour, hour and a half surfing I did, plus the 20 minutes down, 20 minutes back, that heavy board on my back began to, oh, my lower back was killing me. Ah. So what did I do? I got Nancy's bike. <laughs> With her permission, put a set of surf racks, and now, shh, down. People don't change until it hurts too much not to. Now let's, let's apply this a little bit. We're getting ready to make some changes. With how we're going to do our midweek services. Oh. Oh. It's changing. Why are we doing that? We're hoping to draw people in. That's really... It's not just change for change sake. We're trying to bring more people in. They might be nurtured. They might find the Lord. They might be nurtured in the Lord. And Pastor Rob are, are going to do our best to make sure that your inconvenience as little as possible. But guys, come on. Let's not make a big fuss about this. I know you're better than that. I know you're better than that. We don't need to make a big fuss about this. Why? Because Jesus... His whole world was turned upside down so that you might be in the kingdom. Can't we be just, maybe just a little bit inconvenienced? Sure you can. Because that's the pattern that was set by Jesus. Jesus suffered and allowed his whole world to be turned upside down. Third point is found in 19, verses 19 through 21. Jesus suffered to complete God's plan. Jesus suffered to complete God's plan. Now, before we get to the theological truth, we have to set the stage. I want to set the stage with two scriptures. Write them down. Ezekiel 33.11. Ezekiel 33.11. God takes no no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You have to understand that. In that scripture, he took no pleasure in the death of the Israelis. He said, turn, please turn. I don't want you to go this way. You don't have to go. Turn. Why would you die? Why don't you live? So he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's a, that's a foundational truth. In the Hebrew scriptures, the New Testament scripture, he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Second scripture, 2 Peter 3.9. He's not wishing that any should perish. You got it? He's not wishing that any should perish, but what? That all should come to repentance. Those are things that you got to... That's the foundation we build on. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, and he's not wishing that any should come, should perish. Okay, now, here's the two theological issues. There's two questions when we read verses 19 through 21. 
is, who are the spirits that are now in prison? What is he talking about there? Because notice, it took place during the time of Noah. That would lead us to the second question. When did he come? When did Jesus come and make proclamation to the spirits now in prison? Who are they? And when did he do that? Oh, boy, there's volumes written about this. Let me kind of slim it down to three possible explanations. Okay? First explanation I don't buy. It's talking about Jesus during his resurrected state, went down into Sheol, the place of death, and gave an opportunity for those who rejected Noah's preaching while he was building the ark, and they went to Sheol, they were in a place of suffering, and he gave them a second chance. Eh, I don't buy second chances. Why? Because it says in Hebrews, it's appointed once for a die and then the judgment. So there's no second chances. So I don't buy that. But seems to be saying something about that. He went down there and talked to those people. So it's not that. Second, and this is held by many people, what he's talking about, the spirits now in prison are angels, are fallen angels. What? Look what it says. It's during the days of Noah, okay? If you go to Second Peter, you might want to write these verses down. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness for judgment, verse 5, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah. Ah, so there's something happened with those angels during the time of Noah. Hmm. Then if you go to Jude, and Jude only has one chapter, Jude verse 6, it says, And the angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of that great day. So between those two, and if you go to Genesis chapter 6, do you remember? Genesis chapter 6, talking about the flood, it talks about the sons of God coming down and having intimate relationships with the daughters of men. Now, some people say that the sons of God were angels and they came and procreated with men. They left their their good estate and they did that. And so some people say that he went down and he made proclamation to the angels. Well, there are some people who believe that, but I have problems with angels having intimate relationships with people. I don't I just I think that's a foreign concept in the New Testament. I don't think it works. And in the Old Testament. And if you notice, he's not talking about angels being saved, he's talking about people. Oh, I don't buy the angel deal. You might, but God bless you. There's, and there's many people that there's good commentaries that believe that he's talking about angels. I don't think he is. So what is he talking about? I believe what he's saying is the who, the spirits now in prison, were the people that rejected Noah's preaching. But notice the way the New American Standard translates this passage. It says, he made proclamation to the spirits who were now in prison, who 
once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. What I think it's saying is the pre-incarnate Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit was preaching through Noah, was preaching through Noah, urging those people to get in the ark. That's what was going on here. Now, why do I say that? Because we're going back to Ezekiel. He's not... He's not willing that any should perish. What was God getting ready to do just before Noah built the ark? Boom! It was going to rain, and everyone who wasn't in that ark was going to be what? Going to die. Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the pre-incarnate was preaching through Noah, through Noah, urging them to get in the boat. Get in the boat, guys. There's judgment coming. Because the heart of God's plan was to see people saved. He did that through Noah, and in his first coming, he comes to preach that the judgment of God, this time not with water, but with what? Fire is coming down on the earth. It kind of works for me. Kind of works. That kind of works here. Now notice, that also helps us understand this whole... What was he talking about? Baptism. Why is he talking about baptism? Because the people in Noah's day got into the boat and they went, what? Through the water. And though they went, the eight people who went in the boat through the water were saved. How do we get saved? We get into the boat who is Christ. Now, notice he says, it's not the washing of the dirt from the flesh, but it's an appeal to God. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved and delivered from the judgment of God. Mm. Why did Peter write it that way? I don't have any idea. It kind of works for me. And I hope it works for you. Jesus spoke through Noah in the light of the coming judgment of God. Jesus suffered on the cross in the light of the coming judgment of God. He completed God's plan. And he suffered because of that. Okay, application. There's a passage in Matthew. Let me read it. Matthew 16. 16 through chapter 16, verse 21. Jesus is at um, up in the mountains. And he is telling his disciples what's going to happen when he goes to Jerusalem. It says, From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's interest. Jesus is telling his disciples, in order for God's plan to be completed, he had to do what? He had to suffer. He was going to suffer. And what was Peter's reaction? No, it's not going to happen. Now, oftentimes we pick on Peter, don't we? But you know what? He's the only one who had the guts to come up and tell Jesus what he thought. The rest of the disciples, they were thinking the same thing. They were thinking the same thing. Peter had the big mouth and the guts, and he just confronted Jesus. And Jesus said, "You're not. Your your ideas are not based on what God wants, but what man wants. Isn't that true? 
Because Jesus was telling, in order to fulfill God's plan, I have to suffer. Now, the application here is, if we are honest, if we are honest, we hope to fulfill God's plan, but not suffer. (laughs) Isn't that true? Come on, come on. We want God's plan in life, but we don't suffer. One of my favorite preachers is Chuck Swindoll. And he says, now you might want to write, this is a good quote, but it's not one you'd find on your refrigerator. God does not greatly use a man unless he first greatly hurts him. And we, you can put women in there too. Don't, don't ladies, don't think it's just men. God does not greatly use a man unless he greatly hurts him. Now, I don't like that quote. But you know what? It was true for Jesus, wasn't it? He greatly used Jesus, but in order for that to happen, he had to suffer. Now, if you're hoping that you can bypass this scenario, doing good and suffering because of it, you will miss God's plan. Here's the deal. You do good. You follow Jesus. And many times, because you do, you will suffer. But in doing that, you're walking with Jesus. And God's plan will be worked out in your life. Run away from that. And many times, you'll miss God's plan. Now, not that we're masochists. We're not looking, hey, please suffer, cause me to suffer. No, 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 no. Not that we're masochists. But we need to realize we need to do good. We need to be that light. We need to be the salt and light. We need to do that. And part of that, to fulfill God's plan, is we will suffer just like Jesus. Okay. The last pattern that we see is Jesus suffered and now he reigns. Verse 22. Jesus suffered and now he reigns. Let me get back to my passage. Now it says, um, Jesus Christ, verse 22, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Now you have to understand that in his suffering, he submitted completely. He allowed the people to do whatever they were going to do to him. Isn't that true? He allowed the spiritual leaders to unfairly try him. He allowed Pilate to try him and Herod to try him. And then the soldiers beat him up and hung him on the cross. He just willingly gave into that. But in his resurrection, everyone was what? Subject to him. He suffered, but now he's at the right hand of God. The passage that comes into mind over and over again is Philippians chapter 2. You know that passage. Philippians 2, it says, verse 8, talking about Christ, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He suffered. And for this reason also God highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus and every knee will bow, and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There, Paul spells it out completely. He subjected himself to everybody and he abused him and he suffered, but now he reigns with Christ at his rightful place. Now, the application. Paul says in Romans 8.18 that he does not consider the suffering of this present time to be compared with the glory that be revealed in us. There's no comparison between the suffering that we have here on this earth and the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, it's important that you really understand this. You cannot view the suffering in this life by itself. You can't do that, guys. Don't do that. Why? Because if you're just looking at the suffering of this life that we're going through right now by itself, it seems unfair, unloving on the part of God, and illogical. Doesn't make any sense. Paul doesn't do that. What does he say? I do not consider the sufferings of this that we go through on the earth as even being worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us in heaven. Hmm. How can he say that? <laughs> How can he say that? Two reasons. First reason. Acts 15.19. Acts 15.19 says that Paul was dragged out of Lystra. Do you remember the story? Dragged out of Lystra and stoned, and many thought he died. I think he did. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that he was caught up into paradise, into the third heaven, and he saw things that he couldn't talk about right away. I think he got a peek. I got, he got a peek at what was coming. And he said, guys, guys, it doesn't even compare. It doesn't even compare. Isn't that true? That's very possible. I think he got a peek because he suffered quite a bit. He got a peek. But I also believe that he just believed what Jesus said. He said, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. He knew it was going to be good. So he had a peak, but he also believed God's word. Now, I think that's what we're left with. We're just left with believing God's word. Isn't that true? Now, there are some stories about people who've gone to heaven and come back. Okay, those are stories and there's books written and all neat things and whatever. You know, that's okay. However, I'm putting my money not on books that are written by men, but on the Word of God and what Paul says and what Jesus promised me. Okay, let's pull it together. What's our problem with suffering? What's our problem here in Mission Viejo with suffering? You know what it is? Larry Crabb provides the answer. He says that America and the Western world, most of the Western world has been extremely blessed with what the kind of lives we live. And we begin to think that receiving Jesus brings all these wonderful blessings in this life. And we think, well, that's, that's what it's about. But then when suffering comes, you're thinking, oh, what's this about? 
But Dr. Crabb says, get this picture. For most people in the third world and for most of the 18th century and before, for most of us, and, the third, and especially in the third world today, life on this sinful planet is short, <laughs> brutal, illogical, and filled with suffering. Is that not true? <laughs> and the problem that we have with suffering is we think our life is supposed to be filled, fulfillment and wonderful and filled with all kinds of joy. And Dr. Crabb says, no, 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 no. Guys, you got to see the good stuff comes later. <laughs> and the only way you can get through the sufferings of this world is to see that, hey, I'm suffering <laughs> It's illogical. It doesn't seem to make any sense. But hmm, this is... Now, this is a revelation. You might want to write it in your bulletin. This earth is not heaven yet. One day it will be. God will dwell on this planet. But right now, it is not heaven. And the sooner we put on the real glasses of Scripture and see things through that light that this life is oftentimes filled with suffering and difficulties. As unfair as it seems, but it's not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. And I think Dr. Crabb hits it right on the head, doesn't he? Let's put our glasses on. Let's put our shoes on. And walk the path that Jesus walked. Because Jesus suffered to bring people to God. Jesus in his suffering allowed his whole world to be turned upside down so that some people might come to Christ. Jesus suffered and he completed God's plan for his life. But... Jesus suffered, (laughs) and now he reigns. And that's what the Word of God has to say to us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we... Not the most... positive... message talking about suffering... But it's your word, Lord. You suffered. Your son suffered. And he made a way for us to be in the sanctuary this morning. May we have that same mindset so that many of the lost people that surround us have the same experience. Help us not to be selfish. Just think, well, we're in. Let the rest go to hell. May that may not true for us. In Jesus' name, amen.